I don't know about you, but I feel as if I've memorized most of the words of the Christmas story as, as Janet was reading there from Christmas services and nativities years gone by. In fact, I remember in primary two being one of the sort of lesser non-speaking parts hidden at the side of the stage and speaking out the words that those who had those prominent parts were, were saying, um, longing for a kind of moment in the, in, in the limelight. <laughs> Um, well, a, a few weeks ago, I was watching um, the, the TV series called The Chosen. I'm not sure if you've seen it. And they have a special Christmas episode that they did. It was called The Messengers. Um, now, for some reason, I didn't see it first when it came out. But as it came on, I don't normally watch TV. Anyone that knows me will know that if you say the sentence, have you seen, I can almost categorically say no before you've even finished the sentence. <laughs> so little and it's time I spend watching it. Um, but this day, I was having a particularly rubbish day, and I kind of had a heavy heart, and I just needed something to switch off and to distract me. And you know one of those days when you actually just need to stop working at everything and just rest into it? Well, towards the end of this episode, um, as it tells the, the, the story of the, the nativity, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is rec recounting some of her story and about her visit um, to her for, about her visit to her cousin Elizabeth. And following that passage, um, we read the words that are called that we've come to know as Mary's song or the Magnificat from the first words in the Latin version. And as it reached this bit in the episode where Mary speaks out her song, a praise response which is directed at God in response to what's just been shared by her cousin, Elizabeth, I can't fully describe what my heart and my spirit did within me. I'm not sure I quite fully understood what it was that she was saying, but what I did sense was in that moment, the weight of the task of what Mary had been given and her determination to say yes to God's plans for her. A yes, not only to the blessing, but the pain and the sorrow that lay ahead. And from that, from that place, a song of praise almost bursts out of her. In my attempt to switch off and to do something to stop striving, something of a new determination rose up within me. And it, despite all of the challenges that lay ahead and what I was facing. So I'm going to read to you to continue the story in Luke chapter 1, starting with Mary's visit to Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked with favour upon the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. 
He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Kathy Escobar, who's the, the author of a book called A Weary World, says this of Mary. She would find a way to walk the path set before her, even when she had no idea exactly wh where it was going to lead. Well, much like my sitting off at the side of the stage, Mary doesn't actually have much of a voice in the nativity stories. But here in this passage, Luke calls her forth as the chief witness in his account of all that has occurred. Here's Mary's moment to shine center stage, even though she's not been asking for it. These are amazing words, a song from a heart, words of praise which are directed to God, straddled between past, present, and future. In her very words and the fact that we have them here recorded is living proof of the revolution that was to follow, the most unlikely of vessels announcing the new age of hope and deliverance. The testimony of a woman and a, and a mere teenager at that point, and, and one was, um, was probably pretty much worthless, and much less so one, of, one who was unwed and found herself pregnant. Even Joseph, to whom she was betrothed, we are told, he said it had, he had in mind to divorce her quietly and to limit some of that public shame that she would have experienced. Not many would have believed the testimony of a woman claiming a, an immaculate conception. But Mary knew life as we know life. A yes to God's plan in her life meant not just a blessing, but a hard reality that lay before her. As the angel had spoken to her, do not be afraid, we can bet that it was spoken for the very reason that Mary was afraid, that she suffered from fear and confusion and maybe even doubt. How can this be? Her plans for her own life in that moment had been turned upside down, not to mention the prophecy that would later be spoken that a sword would pierce her own heart. No human would feel greater the agony and the sorrow of her son's death. Now, it hadn't particularly occurred to me until, of course, after I had chosen this passage to share with you this morning, that as the Protestant church, sometimes there's a bit of reticence to speak about Mary. And I did have a bit of an, oh my goodness, what have I done moment as well of, of the joy of, of digging into these words. But without focusing too much on Mary's prominence in, in the Catholic tradition or making you nervous by my enthusiasm around her character, here's a quote that sums up the position that I want to make this morning. Mary is a model of faith rather than the object of it. And it is, it is as such that she's to be congratulated for all generations. Last week, we heard from Dawn from Mercy Ships, who shared the story of meeting Mother Teresa and the three questions that she asked him when he shared his plans of a, of a hospital boat that would travel to the poorest places in the world. The first question was, why were you born? What's your purpose in life? Secondly, where is your pain? And thirdly, what are you doing about it? And as I reflected on these words throughout the week, 
and as we, we had some great discussions in our life group, and I asked myself the question, my own conclusion that my purpose is to speak truth, the truth in love, the hard truth, the uncomfortable truth, the truth of who God is, the truth that persists to be true, even in the face of a reality that looks very different. Andrew Ollerton, who's the author of the Bible course and a more recent um, study and book in Romans said this, isn't it perfectly possible for something to be true about you without knowing it or feeling it? Having been blissfully unaware, you're grateful to the person who pointed out what had been true all along. And so I somewhat identified with Mary in what I believe is a prophetic song of praise and of truth in response to Elizabeth's words, which the passage tells us was inspired by the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist leaps for joy within her. Perhaps there's a sense of that um, in Romans 8, 16, where it says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And I wonder if having heard from the angel what was going to happen and having uttered those words, may your words to me be fulfilled. That in the waiting, she still longed for that further confirmation that God keeps his promises. And so perhaps with this in mind, she travels to see her cousin Elizabeth. Now, under the Holy Spirit's influence, Elizabeth is able to confirm what Mary has understood from the angel, that she, the baby that she carries inside her is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah, and that she, indeed, is blessed, blessed by God, and blessed that she has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her. And it's so in this way that Mary's not just the mother of Jesus, but also a disciple and a prophet. In and through her, God was bringing about a new reality. Elizabeth's words to her were a confirmation of the promises of God through her. The words that she speaks are steeped in Old Testament scripture with words that are very much like Hannah's song of thanksgiving in 1 Samuel chapter 2 in response to the son that she'd given birth to after it was said that the Lord had closed her womb. And like Mary, it's so important that we let the word of God take root in us. For a number of years, Callum and I had studied together the Bible in one year. And as I was preparing for this, it was amazing how many different scriptures pulled out to, uh, I was able to pull out that just sprung to my mind as I read. Um, and I, I, we stopped doing it a number of years ago, probably after the twins were born and I was too tired at night to even kind of see straight. Um, but it had been a habit that we'd had for seven years. And as I stopped doing that day by day, God's word was no less present in my life all the time. Now the story that Mary finds herself in is in fact the story that we see throughout the whole Bible. Time and time again, God makes a promise and we see the evidence of fulfillment in Elizabeth's life, in Mary's life, and in us and in others, and our trust is built. It evokes a song of praise within us. Mary is, in fact, the evidence of all that she declares in the song. My soul magnifies the Lord. One description of the word magnify is to, to make great and glorious by what we say of a person. Now, the commentator, Joel Green, invites us to consider what's our role in this big story and the realization of God's promise 
In his commentary in Luke, he says, the miraculous redemptive activity of God calls forth human response and partnership. What would it mean if, like Mary, we too have been chosen? These verses from Isaiah 43, verse 10, came to mind, which was a memory verse that we, we'd had in a Bible study a number of years ago. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Now, as I witness, the first truth that Mary's words state is, that God has been mindful of her or looked with favor upon the humble state of his servant, upon her lowliness. Mary recognizes that she has nothing within her that would cause God to choose her. It is, in this case, it isn't that Mary was somehow extraordinarily humble, but more that the humble state spoke of the absence of anything uh, in the world that would cause her to be elevated or have a status of worthiness in society. A society where to be elevated and chosen was based on a number of different factors. It's simply by God's grace that she was chosen. We see in contrast the birth story of John the Baptist through Elizabeth. And though there's similarities in the story, it's clear that um, the birth of Jesus gets a lot more airtime that it's far elevated above the birth of John. But this is a reversal of the social norms that were dominated by age, by gender, by education, by ethnicity, vocation, family heritage, land ownership, and religious purity. Mary was effectively nowhere on this list. Elizabeth, in contrast, was the wife of a priest. She was older in age, and at least since in society's view, was more likely to have been favoured by God. I'm sure you can see that there are many similarities between the world that we live in today and our society, where the voices of women are often still silenced or ridiculed, where racial discrimination is still prevalent, leading to devastating injustice, where those in authority abuse their power and claim privilege and entitlement at the expense of others. I'm not sure if you um, ever shop in Tesco and you have the tokens that you take and you get to choose one of three community projects that will get some funding, um, or maybe slightly more if you're my children, you like to steal as many as you can to put in. Um, but my daughter Freya loves to see, see which one has got the most in it and add her token to that. Whereas me, on the other hand, if I don't have a particular favourite or a cause that I want to get behind, I like to put it in the one that has got the least in it to give them a little bit of a helping hand. Favour attracts favour. But God is on the side of the underdog. God chose poor Mary and Joseph. We see that evidenced by the sacrifice that they would later offer at the temple after Jesus' birth. And the lowly shepherds who would be one of the first to come visit them, maybe not so much humble and gentle as we imagine them, but more akin to the kind of riffraff of society. Mary is able to speak the truth that God has chosen her. We can imagine that she might have boasted, well, God's chosen me because I'm really humble, but that doesn't work either. But alongside the truth of her circumstances, Mary has a security in her identity that could only come 
from words from God to her, himself. Mary's able to say boldly that from now on all generations will call me blessed. Father Reniro Cantalamessa, who's the preacher to the Pope, um, I do have a few quotes from him. I was trying to think if I could call him a nickname, but I'll try and get through it. Um, he said this, Knowledge of God provokes as a reaction and contrast a new and true perception and knowledge of oneself and one's own being. The self is only grasped in front of God, quorum Deo, or before the face of God. God, by his word and by his spirit, transforms Mary and transforms us and empowers us to be his witnesses. Mary is able to see herself as God sees her. As one chosen by God, she walks the fine line between humility and confidence or arrogance. She doesn't put herself down as we think of humility sometimes, but neither is there any sense of pride. I love praying for people in situations that they would have a God confidence. Not a confidence in themselves, but a confidence in the God who is at work within them. Somehow she's able to fully embrace the truth of who she is and how God sees her and to live and to witness to his grace. And it's from this acknowledgement of God, of herself and of the truth that this song of praise bursts forth. In Psalm 19, the psalmist says that all creation sings praise simply by being what it is created to be. Who have we been created to be? Not to do but to be, do we think well of ourselves? Now, what starts as a personal testimony, not of our own greatness, but of what God has done, then extends to a celebration of what God has done and will do for Israel. Like Mary has been shown mercy, she says that that same mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. That includes all of us who believe. Mary speaks of what God has done in the past, but she's also able to say in a way that relates to the future with such certainty as if it has already happened. This is not necessarily plain for all to see, for all concerned. Despite knowing the pictures and having a picture, despite knowing the scriptures and having a picture of the coming Messiah, it's probably not what they were expecting. Jesus was born into a relative time of peace, but one that was forced by the military power of the Roman occupation and might. Yet the mighty deeds that Mary talks about, we might even find ourselves in a position of vulnerability or that we find ourselves on the side of the enemy. She speaks of God's mighty deeds that he's performed with his arm in a way that is so very countercultural to us. Like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7, it speaks of a different way of operating, an inauguration of an upside-down kingdom, a very different kind of blessing. Joel Green describes the word blessed as spoken over those who are judged to possess what is necessary for a joyful life, especially those who are the recipients of God's gift of redemption. Mary's response was that all generations would call her this word blessed. And we can see that categorically our definition, even in the church, is sometimes so different. I wonder what comes to mind when you think of the word blessed. 
We might shade of having a roof over our heads or a car that we can drive, children or grandchildren. In Scotland, we're blessed with a free education system. But the true blessing that Jesus speaks of is quite different. I love the, the message translation of Matthew 5, verse 3 from the Sermon on the Mount. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Mary speaks of these verses, mighty deeds in verse 51, that contrast those who are proud, saying that he's scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts with those who are humble. And that's not just pride in action. If you remember when um, we were going through James chapter 3, speaking about taming the tongue, that it wasn't just the words that came out of our mouth, but that was an indication of the state of our heart. So even if we manage for the words not to come out of our mouth, he scatters the proud in their inmost thoughts, those thoughts that we keep in our heart. And it says that God brings down the rulers from their thrones, that is, those who rule by force. Peace that was achieved by the Roman occupation is not true peace. These thrones that are spoken of are not just for the rich and the powerful, but we who like to sit on the thrones of our own lives. We who want to be the boss, boss of and ruler of our own lives rather than complete submission to God. And in contrast, it says that he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. Part of the reason that bringing a word like this is simultaneously brilliant and also a little bit grilling is that first I have to go through that process of letting it transform me first. And rather than get ourselves into a scenario, as we so often do, of thinking about us and them or trying to classify ourselves as either rich and proud or poor and humble, thereby almost proving our pride, I wonder if it makes more sense for us to ask ourselves these questions, recognizing that both can exist simultaneously. Where am I weak? In what way do I lack? When am I most vulnerable? In what situations am I powerless to change in my own strength? And where do I have pride? What do I value highly? The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, um, he speaks about giving, being given a thorn in the flesh that would keep him from being conceited or thinking too highly of himself. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest on me. I wonder if you're in the habit of boasting about your weaknesses, or do we rather prefer to keep them hidden? Do we lean in to seeking God in our weaknesses, or do we run away from him? What are you powerless to change on your own? Where do you unmistakably need God's power to come into your weakness? There's times and situations in my life where I, like Paul, have asked God that he would take away a thorn in the flesh. But actually, when I re-emerge from the pit, my prayer is always this. God, please don't stop this work in me of making me more like you, of allowing the ground that I stand on to be shaken so that I can see where I still build my life 
on the shifting sand and not on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, who is my salvation. God, please don't let me think that I can do this on my own. It's in these very moments of weakness and vulnerability that have led to a greater depth of knowledge and relationship with him and therefore who I am in Christ. Because I know that if I'm going to do anything for God, it has to first flow out of who I am. William Barclay said that to be chosen by God so often means that one in the same time, a crown of joy and a cross of sorrow. The piercing truth is that God does not choose a person for ease and comfort and selfish joy, but for a great task that will take all head and heart and hand can bring. We see this very weakness demonstrated through the birth of Jesus, who sets aside all of the riches of heaven and comes to earth to, to dwell, vulnerable, powerless and needing to be cared for. We read in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. While man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. The times when we're trying really hard to look like we've got it all together. In fact, maybe we're even reluctant to share some of the difficulties or things that have happened to us. As if it's somehow a sign that we're not blessed or that we're not favored by God. That if we're Christians and we're blessed, then we, we dare not say anything that suggests otherwise. Martin Luther uh, shared that Mary says that God does the opposite. He keeps the proud and the distant, keeps the proud distant and raises himself to himself, the humble and unimportant. He stays more willingly with the needy and hungry who harass him with supplications and requests than with the rich and the satisfied who do not need him and ask nothing of him. God is the rescuer of the poor and the afflicted and responds generously to those who acknowledge their powerlessness. So what does that mean in the continuation of God's story in us? Well, only when we're poor and we recognize our need for him Will the Holy Spirit come upon us and release new life from within us? The story has always been that God longs to dwell with us and in us, to walk with his children in the garden in unbroken fellowship with one another. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. Only the great high priest would be allowed to enter once a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus was to come into the world to tabernacle or to dwell with his people, not just for the great high priest. And this is what Mary proclaims has been turned on its head. But Jesus' birth without the cross and the resurrection is completely insignificant. His death on the cross would cause that temple to curtain to be torn in two from top to bottom by God's initiation thereby giving us access to our holy heavenly father. And where Mary was chosen to bear the word of God, 
as the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, we can now carry the Spirit of God, God to dwell within us. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16 said, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Well, in a conversation this week with someone as I was sharing about uh, what I had been reading and the complexities of the characters of Mary, I found myself thinking out loud these words. Now, please don't panic. <laughs> I can't imagine how Mary could have had the word of God dwelling within her and not been holy. And the person I was talking to looked back with a slightly screwed up face and said, can't you? <laughs> um, and then I reconsidered what I said. Now, of course, as I thought about Mary as a human, she was still subject to the flesh and the will and the, the desires at work within her. But she recognized that she too needed a savior. However, in 1 Peter 2 verses 9 and 10, we read these words. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We too have been chosen by God to dwell in us by his spirit, to glorify him. God's power is at work within us to be all that we have been created to be for the glory of his name. Jesus says, however, that we have to be born again, to be born of the spirit. To allow ourselves in vulnerability and weakness to be made new. He comes to those who are hungry, those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize their need for him, not just that think that we can do it on their own. And over and over again, our weaknesses remind us of how much we need him. They keep us coming back to him. The author Sonia Corbett said, he desires that you escape from the embrace of self and offer yourselves your neediness, weakness, emptiness to him, even to the separation of joints and marrows of your soul. Your truest, most vulnerable and most hidden self must be open to his love reaching unreservedly to him out of the deepest wells of your heart. This intimacy with the spirit gives birth to new life within us. Come to the conclusion that those that we read about in the Bible are a lot more human than we imagine them. But as living temples of the Holy Spirit, we are more holy than we can dare to imagine. If we allow the spirit to work in us, then it's impossible for us not to be made more holy. But do we trust God in this truth that that is who we are, even when we don't see it? How is it that we can do that? Well, we do so in the same way that Mary did, by looking at the promises of God and how they have been fulfilled in the past. Jesus' birth was the fulfillment of more than 300 prophecies, Jesus, who would be the way, the truth, and the life, is proof that God can be trusted. He's proof of God's mercy and God's justice. Only through Jesus, who being holy, was able to enter in behind that curtain, 
temple curtain into the most holy of holies and give himself as a sacrifice on behalf of the people. It's in this way that we can speak with confidence of what has already happened, of what is already true. We are God's holy people, his treasured possession. Now it's a challenge and a responsibility for us to act, to act as such and to speak as such. Like Mary's to speak of God's mercy to us, our blessedness because of what he has done in a world that so desperately, still so desperately awaits deliverance. A world where some have heard God's word, but needs yet another reminder that God, or confirmation that God fulfills his promises. To believe that the deliverer has come and is coming, even when there's still so much darkness. But this is what it means to be part of the church, to be the called ones, that we've been set apart for a special purpose, to be made holy, that we are saints and witnesses. We are called to be a voice, a prophetic voice, a voice of truth. Again, Father Renato Cancelo Mesa shares a story that we know as the Emperor, Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen. Think of the well-known story of Anderson in which some swindlers make a king believe that there was some beautiful material which would make those wearing it invisible to the foolish and stupid and visible only to the wise. First of all, the king himself does not see it but is afraid to say so in case he's considered one of the foolish and all his ministers and people behave in the same way. So almost completely nude, the king parades through the streets and everyone, so as not to betray themselves, pretends to admire his beautiful robes until a child's voice is heard in the crowd. But the king has got nothing on, thus breaking the spell. And everyone finally has the courage to admit that the famous robes do not exist. He goes on to say, the church must be like that child's voice to a world infatuated with its own prosperity and which considers those who show they do not believe in it. It repeats the words of the apocalypse. You do not know that you're naked. This shows us that Mary really speaks prophetically for the church in the Magnificat. Starting from God, she was the first to lay bare the great poverty of the riches of the world. We're given an example of this di direct and bold prophetic language in which divine truth is opposed to human opinion. In Revelation 3:17, you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not knowing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. We need not be ashamed to speak the truth about our weaknesses. The robes of righteousness that we call our own are like the invisible robes of the emperor. We're kidding ourselves on. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew that she had nothing to boast in. We have nothing except that which is a gift from God. I'll invite the bands to come up and we're going to sing a song and in it we're going to sing these words. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. 
Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Final quote from uh, Renido Cantalamessa. Mary is like the soloist who starts a tune that must be taken up by the whole choir. Do we dare to sing Mary's song, to speak of all that is true without denying the reality of the world that we find ourselves in? Do we dare, as God looked with favor upon Mary, to see that we ourselves have been looked upon in the same way and let his word transform us by his spirit? If you want this to be your song, I'm going to ask the, the tech team to put these words up on the screen and for us to say to them together, we are your servants. May your word to us be fulfilled. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have looked upon us, your children, with favor. Lord, we have nothing of ourselves to bring, nothing of our own righteousness. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, who came in such weakness and vulnerability. Lord, I pray that you would transform us in such a way that we would be people who bring your peace to this earth. Not a peace that, that comes by exerting force or power over others but a peace that comes from knowing who we are in Christ. Lord, would you speak to us words like you spoke to Mary, who would have faced this shame and humiliation from those around her, who probably felt like she had nobody on her side. Lord, would you speak to our heart words that only you can speak? that remind of, us how of how much we are loved by you. That actually when Jesus spread his arms out on the cross, he said, this is how much I love you. And we remind ourselves of that truth and that there's nothing we can do to change that. Father, I pray that you give us strength in the, those moments when, when we don't feel like that, when we feel far away from that truth. But by your, your, your spirit within us, that you would activate that word of God inside us. That we would be able to speak well of ourselves like Mary did. That we would know how blessed we are in spite of all our weaknesses. Lord, would you confirm to us who we are in Christ? And would you make us that prophetic voice? Would we be witnesses of your promises, the fulfillment of your promises? Lord, would we speak truth? into the darkness of this weary world. Thank you that with you nothing is impossible. As we sing these words, yet not I, but through Christ in me, I pray that you'd break down any walls that stop us from fully experiencing Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, that you'd work your way through any of the hurts that we have had that would make us think otherwise. Lord, I pray for 
uh, those particularly who, who who don't even have a shred of a of a good thing to to feel and believe about themselves. Lord, would you touch their hearts just now? Lord, and would we, your church, be able to stand with that prophetic voice and sing your your song, a new song that you've given us through all that you have done in us and through us. And like Mary, would we be able to say that we are a, a, a model of faith? Lord, we offered ourselves to you in our weakness, in our vulnerability. We say, come and fill us. Come and meet with us. Come and make your power known through our weaknesses in a way that only you can. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship.